welcome to Sacred Justice, a podcast that features discourse rooted in the pursuit of justice as sacred practice. Our weekly discussions reflect on current events, art, media, theology, and how they intersect with the movements for freedom and liberation. We hope that through these conversations, we can foster inclusivity by expanding our learning opportunities. We hope to cultivate digital community beyond the confines of our campus. And we hope to reconnect the church's social and spiritual callings. Join us for the journey. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sacred Justice. Sacred Justice is our new podcast at Myers Park Baptist Church, and we are so excited to be in a Genesis moment as we discuss beginning again. I am so excited about our special guest today, who I will introduce shortly. But I do want to offer a recap of episode four. If you haven't gotten a chance to listen to that yet, please do. Uh, Reverend Ben Boswell and I, we chatted up a little bit about what does it mean to be white? You've you've heard him talk about this a lot of times, uh, but we kind of took some different angles on, on this one. I really wanted to hear about his conception process, a little bit more about how he developed the curriculum. Um, but also I wanted to look at the past 14 months and all that we've learned from what does it mean to be white um, and some of the things that I've learned from it. So if you get a chance to listen to that podcast, do uh, that episode, do go back and listen to it. It was very juicy. And we will, in our next conversation, Dr. Boswell and I will be talking about his playlist that I helped curate, um, at least put together on YouTube. He curated it. I put it together to put on YouTube. So if you would like to listen to the playlist of songs by uh, Black people in this country who have been writing about uh, white estrangement for a century. Uh, you can go listen to that on YouTube or Spotify. That is on our website. So anyway, let us jump into it. I am here. To, well, I'm Mia McLean. I'm here with the Reverend Tara Gibbs. <laughs> um, Tara Gibbs is uh, our newest staff person. Uh, well, really, uh, yes, the newest staff person, but newest clergy, really. Um, as she joined our team in January. Tara, give us just a little bit about yourself, um, your job title here, the uh, how, you're, how you are working with our community in this season. Sure, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be a part of such rich conversation. Uh, as I said a moment ago, my name is Reverend Tara Gibbs. My pronouns are she and her. Um, I'm originally from New Bern, North Carolina. Uh, and I'm just excited to serve as of January of this year in the role of minister to youth and college ministries at Myers Park Baptist Church. Yes, yes. We're excited to have you. It was a, a long search process, not because we couldn't find people, but because the pandemic got in our way. But you were there from the beginning. And so... Uh, for the long haul. <laughs> <laughs> it was a journey, but here I am. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. So um, as usual, uh, Reverend Tara, we, we usually start off with some current events, you know, um, anything in the news that is catching your attention or on your Twitter feed or Facebook feed that has you thinking about faith, justice, injustice, equity, whatever, whatever those uh, topics are for you. Anything in your in your world? 
Sure, thank you. And you have to add into that TikTok, my TikTok feed now, because I'm a cool kid now. Um, <laughs> but um, one thing that I have just um, been pondering about, uh, it's not necessarily a current event, but just some current trends have been the vaccination rates. Um, I've been keeping up with the New York Times as they um, report information as they get it. Um, they have great information by for the overall country of the United States, but also broken down by age, uh, range by uh, county, down a specific county, and some major cities, not every city, but a lot of the major cities. And I've just been very, very fascinated to see those rates and trends. Uh, first, from my own experience uh, and my desire to be vaccinated weeks ago, um, and the struggle I had to find an appointment uh, at that time, and how far out appointments were. And when I finally went to a larger event at Bank of America Stadium, how many people were there? I mean, it was a process. <laughs> it was a thing. And now to read the reports and see the data and that they have way more vaccines available than people making appointments, than people trying to get vaccinated. And that is not a judgment on those who have done research and are trying to make the best decision for their individual life. But I just found it very, very interesting. Of course, some of the loudest people on social media, for example, uh, seem to be very adamant about uh, not being vaccinated, which is, again, their personal choice. But I'm just fascinated with how that becomes so uh, loud in the forefront, um, particularly as it relates to the reasons um, they seem to provide, especially as we think about justice um, and equity and some of these in faith. And because a lot of these reasons uh, tie down to a few different categories, like uh, you know, the vaccine messes with your DNA makeup or your structure, and that goes against somebody's version of God, right? So then it becomes a, a theological discussion, in a sense, for someone else. It begins to inhibit their rights to travel freely as they want. So then it becomes a, a more moral issue for the nation um, and a question of morals of uh, and rights of can someone who is vaccinated or not vaccinated do they have the same rights um, as each other? What about the travel restriction? Things like that. So I've just found it to, to be very, very fascinating and a great uh, conversation starter and maybe even a relationship ender in some cases. <laughs> <laughs> relationship ender. Yeah. Look, we're having to make difficult choices about things. Um, what I was actually talking about this with somebody recently about how both in this conversation of the, the anti-vaxxers, so I'm not really talking about people who are not getting vaccinated because of concerns about a health issue or some something right. else, but the people who are, like you're saying, very loud and just not really making scientific sense um, and how those are generally, if I had to do one of those little, um, what do you call those web things that overlap? The Venn, Venn diagram? diagram? Yeah. <laughs> if I had to do a Venn diagram of the people who are uh, anti-vaxxers who are very loud, and the people who are like generally like in our hate mail, uh, giving us hate mail, they're probably the same people, the same sort of like theologically conservative, uh, but not just like I'm keeping that to myself. But I have I have to go out of my way Correct. to know that I hate everything about you. I hate what you do. I hate what you stand for and how I don't often feel that way coming from the left or the liberal, for lack of a better word. I know that's very problematic words, but you know what I'm saying? There's, I don't, I don't see that going both ways. It's definitely very dominant from that particular group of people. Mm -hmm. And I will add that here's an interesting, well, I find it an interesting 
uh, what may be a, more of a, a justice issue in, in this too, is that I was very disappointed in how even a lot of the media and news outlet reported those who are not getting vaccinated, right? It became a thing of look at all these quote black people who, you know, aren't interested in getting vaccinated when if they would have done just a, a, a tad more research, <laughs> they might understand that it was not a, for the, for most black people, it was not a thing of, oh, I'm just outright not going to do this. There were questions of, is this safe? How did they get this so, quote, quickly? Um, I remember, you know, experiments from uh, history of how we were treated when it came to medical experimentation and sciences. Is this safe? Is this the best decision for me and my family? Um, is this, again, the, the government showing a dis, uh, disdain for people of color? So it, it, there were questions, right, which I think is very different than an outright, I am not going to do that because that goes against my rights and who I am and God and blah, 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 blah. And it was very disingenuous um, to see the media portray and even something like Saturday Night Live, right? Do the little skits of all these black people who had whatever reasons and questions for not getting the vaccination. When actuality, and based on some reports I read from NPR, the highest the group most likely to be anti-vaccination and loud about it, again, to our previous point, were white men. And so where were those skits? You know, where where were, were their finger waggings uh, at them and how dare you not do this and their questions. So I just think that's another issue that we have to look at from, uh, you can, it's just it's a snippet of, again, some of the inequities and injustices in our country where we have to look at how one side or one group in particular is being treated in relation to the dominant group. It's, it's an everything. Yeah. It's an everything. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's a, it's a ongoing conversation. And even as I'm, I'm on, I'm on some planning committees right now for a few conferences that are trying to happen in 2022, a woman, a woman of color and ministry conference, you know, so a couple of other things. And there's a lot of discussion about how are we, how are we going to be able to treat people um, if some are vaccinated, some are not, are we going to, is it, is there ever going to be a time where we can legally say you can't come if you are not vaccinated? Right. So there's a lot of questions happening. If we're going to be able to gather again, how we're going to be able to gather again. Um, and so this conversation continues to be relevant. Um, so on my side of things, one of the things that I was thinking about is, uh, in my newsfeed, I've seen a lot of pastors organizing around things, And I think on last episode, organizing around labor and housing. Um, and, but recently there's this sort of hoopla about uh, fast food workers who, a lot of the fast food restaurants being closed, um, or just restaurants in general. Well, you know, they're all at home benefiting off of that, you know, stimulus money off of that. Um, Yes, yes, and I'm sitting there. You know, I, I went through a drive-through the other day, and they were talking about we're, we're hiring, and I'm just looking. I'm like, you know, how much are they? How much? How is it? As somebody who has been on unemployment before, and I know that's not a whole lot of money. You had to have been making so terrible a, pay, a, a paycheck for you to stay home on unemployment, in my opinion. Now that's me speaking, but I've been on unemployment before. And let me tell you something, 420 a week was not enough to pay all my bills, okay? <laughs> that, 
that was in New York City. I'm not sure what it looks like in, in North Carolina, but <laughs> that max, the max in New York was something like four fifty a week, right? Wow. So, um, in in a mo- one of the most expensive cities in the world. So, if somebody is sitting at home on unemployment, they had to have been making you know less than seven dollars an hour. I mean, it it had to have been abysmal. And so, I'm just sort of watching the conversations that are happening around this and. And I'm just sort of thinking, you know, what is the role of the church in this? I'm I'm sort of feeling in this season of my life, I'm trying to discern what my call is in organizing. Mm. Um, what do I feel passionate about? Sometimes I feel passionate about housing, you know, super passionate about housing. But when it comes to labor and when we're thinking about the fact that, you know, every everything in our country is seen, seen a decline uh, in volunteerism and people being able to give their time. Part of that is because people are working two and three jobs to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And so we can't really have an honest conversation about decline in church giving or decline in church volunteering if we don't talk about also that people are suffering under the weight of capitalism. So anyway, that's my rant for the day. That's what I. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for sharing that, because I, I've heard it said and I, I agree that um, the pandemic really brought to light um, the areas where we were already strained under capitalism. Right. It was all it's been an issue that, um, for example, many fast food workers and retail and service um, employees were making the minimum wage, which we know is not a living wage, right? That's been a problem. But the pandemic, of course, exacerbated that. It made it more clear. It made it more obvious. And it's just so interesting to me to see that. I guess you can call it that circular and circular logic. I, I don't know the term, but where, for example, someone complains, uh, I don't have enough employees at this uh, fast food job. Okay, well, how much are you paying them? Minimum wage. Okay, that's not a living wage. So they went somewhere else. Well, you know, wait, but but if they would have complained about being there making a minimum wage, then it would have been, we'll get a better job, a better paying job. Well, that's what they did. So which is it? <laughs> do you want them to stay there and, and complain about their wage? Or do you want them to actually go try to get the jobs that you claim are there and they're not? So. Which is it? And I just I just find that very fascinating. Yeah, it's it's I mean, I, I would like to stop seeing these news articles that are just they should have they should have given you a one liner, you know, uh, fast food workers are, you know, quitting and nobody's really digging deep. Very few, very few people in in the news headlines. Right. We know scholars are and sure. some logins and church people are, but very few in journalism, I'm sort of disappointed as as where as to where journalism is headed because I've not seen a whole lot of New York Times articles or Washington Post articles really digging deep into the issue. Sure, well, let's call it what it is, though. I, I think because those are major corporations that are in charge of that journalism, right? They are susceptible to the same biases and same issues because the same on the one end, you do have scholars, theologians, academics that are studying this and have been said this, you also have that working class person who has lived this. They may not have the fancy terminology for it. You know, they may not have can cite sources, but they can tell you their lived experience. Right. The same way you just said, um, you know, trying to live off of uh, for something a week. So I think they're going to realize that, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> we're, we're not really, you know, digging to the issue. That's one of the reasons I joke about it. But that's actually why I love TikTok because and Twitter, too. Because I feel like I get to hear those other perspectives, those lived experiences from the average person instead of being uh, only siloed to what 
news media outlets give me. Right. And mm -hmm. you've already pointed out they have weaknesses too. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I want to bring up, you talked a little bit about gas today. Uh -huh. um, I didn't indigestion. I mean, gas. Uh, <laughs> oil, I mean, gasoline. <laughs> gasoline. I mean, this short, I had no idea. I guess I'd been out of the loop. Um, can you explain to me what is going on? Because I've only, I went to get gas on Sunday and the station said they had none. I was like, oh, okay, that's weird. I'm going to go across the street, you know, and get to go to the other station. And I had no idea what's happening with gas. For sure. Uh, well, I admit I've been a little out of the loop as well uh, with so much going on in my personal life. But um, I try to, that's why I love like my little news snippets from my NPR, my minute news updates. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's uh, one of the largest gas companies um, that or that own a pipeline from somewhere in the like Midwest, it goes all the way through Eastern United States up to about New Jersey, had a data breach. And so um, I, I can't, I don't remember specifically what was Russian, but uh, I'll say Eastern European um, uh, uh, hackers got in, they have their data, they're holding it ransom for some money. <laughs> um, and so this is causing some panic among that, um, that gas company. And so because they can't get to their own information and things, um, prices have gas, uh, there's shortages basically. So of course, when there's a shortage, the demand goes up and uh, the prices go up. So prices of gas have gone up uh, because we are short some gas. <laughs> and interestingly, of course, first thing this morning, many people ran to the gas station where they needed, whether they needed gas or not, with their little red um, tanks, as well as their vehicles, and loaded up on gas, not unlike toilet paper rolls last year <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic. So, uh, yes, that's why I, you saw lines. <laughs> okay, I, I, I've been out, I must be completely just tied up, you know, like we said, personal life and things. I'm just completely out of the loop. But I was talking in the car with uh, earlier today with uh, another minister here about um, you know, we're both from this from hurricane places, so this is very much like hurricane preparation for us. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I gotta get my I gotta get my my stuff in order, like I'm evacuating almost. That's how it feels like. Right. Um happened um in New York, I guess in 2012 when we had Hurricane Sandy, the same thing happened, and I was living there. So I'm sort of feeling like a, a little PTSD, and I, mm -hmm. I don't make when when people are talking about this, I'm like, oh my god, I got to get ready. You're not gonna get my stuff in order. I'm not prepared for this. I'm behind the curve. So, <laughs> wow, and it's it very apocalyptic, very very book of Revelation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's a little it's a little eerie in some senses. I'm also yeah. from I'm from Eastern North Carolina, small town on the coast, and so yeah, we get hit. I mean, you know, the national and not national, the statewide hockey teams, the hurricanes. So we're, we're, we're used to that as well. So you're right. It is very, it's eerily similar in some ways that panic prepping the shortages. It's uh, yeah, it's interesting. So we'll, we'll see. I um, haven't checked in um, lately to see what exactly is happening. Um, but hopefully um, I think if I remember correctly, the estimates are that it, it'll level off once they kind of figure out some new uh, pipelines and, and routes and things for the gas to travel. Okay. Woo. Well then. <laughs> so on that note, on today's episode, we are chatting up uh, with Reverend Tara about beginning again, uh, beginning again. And as always, I bring a quote or somebody brings a quote. So today my quote is from 
um, our 2019 Jesus in the 21st Century speaker, uh, Dr. Catherine Keller. Dr. Catherine Keller is a process theologian and process theology has been really helpful for me in this pandemic to know that we are always in process. We are always in a Genesis moment is very helpful for me to make sense of the changes that are happening around us. So this is from chapter three of her book on the mystery. It says, in the wild waters of the world, the fish does not go under. It is in its element. Amidst the unpredictable, it swims in grace. For us, says Ambrose, developing his allegory, this is a quote from Ambrose, it has been reserved that water should regenerate you to grace, end quote. Keller continues, if it were my sermon, I might continue. Even when life seems to be flowing along calmly, its rhythms pleasingly supportive, currents of uncertainty ripple through my day. Waves of anxiety worn of some gathering storm amidst my relations or my obligations. The tempest may dissipate or it may blow in. It may be personal, it may be professional, it may be political. An undertow of chaos tugs at every moment. What if instead we learn to swim right through the swells? Mm, I love that. Yes, Catherine Keller. She's always helping me think through a Genesis. She has a, a part of there about Genesis, but mm -hmm. what if you learn to swim through the swell? So Tara, tell us about the past, first of all, 14 months in this interesting period. Uh, how have you been swimming through the swells? And also your transition to Myers Park and the beginning again in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of chaos, you were beginning again. And finally, we're starting to reopen the church safely. And so it's almost like, and I've heard you say this, it's almost like you have to start over or there's all these new introductions to things. So um, in any order or any way you want to share with us, tell me about swimming through the swells. Sure, thank you for that. Um, so yeah, the past, um, which is at 14 months, yeah, yeah, have been very interesting. Um, even though I started at Myers Park in just this January, so uh, barely five months in actually, um, it, the beginning of the pandemic in particular was a, still a time of transition for me. Um, I was getting ready to start a new <laughs> program, uh, the D-Admin program at Columbia uh, Theological Seminary. So that was a transition. I had transitioned at my previous um, employer uh, transition titles in response to the pandemic and how churches, our church at the time was going to operate and run. Um, so I had a number of transitions just back to back to back to back. And I just really love that you shared that quote about swimming through the swells because that gives me some language to think of how I think I've been able to, to keep afloat <laughs> in some ways. And I'm so grateful. Um, it is nothing but but by the grace of God and so many wonderful people around me um, that I feel as confident as I do now. And it, it's taken some time to get there. And I'm hoping that this encourages someone who's listening. This is not, you know, this isn't how I've been all 32 years of my life to be able to hit the next wave and keep, just keep swimming, right? <laughs> that has not been my entire life, but I would say in the past two years. So, um, 
as I think about beginning again and transitions, one thing I've realized in those two years is that uh, I love when people ask, well, you know, well, what's next and what are you going to do and all those kind of things. And and uh, I, in spiritual sense, people ask, you know, what, what is God telling you and all that? And I always just think, well, the relationship me and God have, God doesn't really tell me too much of what to do. God kind of illuminates what I've already done. Right. Um, I think of it as like a hindsight roadmap. <laughs> so I don't see what's coming, but I can plan a route that's best, not the best as in it's just 100 percent the best at, in all times, but best on where I've been uh, compared to where I've been to really just plan out and think at least, OK, where can I go next? And that has really helped me in transition times because it's given me more agency over my own life instead of thinking what will happen to me next. It's OK. What can I do? next. Um, uh, Singer-songwriter David Lamott um, in his book World Changing 101 uh, says the question is no longer what am I supposed to do with my life, but what do I do next? And that has Mm. given me so much more freedom. I mean, you know, you've probably been there. As soon as you graduate high school, it's okay, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to major in? Okay. Then you graduate college. All right. What kind of job are you going to get? What kind of career are you going to get? Then you get something. Okay, are you going to have a house? Are you going to have kids? Are you going to do this? And what is your purpose? And it's a lot of questions about overall life. Instead of asking in the moment, what do I just do next? So again, this I'm just so grateful because this is what has kept me when it comes to these um, transitions. So a little bit more specifically about my journey, um, I've had some very unique experiences in life in in terms of volunteering and, and careers and jobs and positions and opportunities um, that have all led me to where I am today. Um, Ten years ago, I don't think I could have told anyone, oh, I'll be working at that big colonial church down there in Charlotte as the minister <laughs> of, of children and youth. That's, that's where I'm going to go. I probably couldn't have told you that five years ago, but I can look back now and see, okay, while I was an undergrad, I volunteered with a church, a college ministry at a church, right? Um, I had the privilege of attending both an HBCU and an Ivy League seminary, right? So I have those different experiences. Um, I've had the privilege of pastoring a predominantly white church. Um, I had the privilege of being hired at a predominantly black church for one role, but recognizing a lack and need in one area, specifically youth ministry and creating one from scratch, right? Um, I've mentored youth along the way and so much more. And I can see now how all these things have (laughs) coincided and prepared me for the position I have today. So uh, all that to say, transition, it's um, it's interesting. Um, I'm also grateful for Brene Brown, who is, who doesn't love Brene Brown? I, I <laughs> right? know, she's great. <laughs> and her podcast that she started um, last year around the pandemic. And one of the very first ones was about FFTs. Um, first freaking times. And maybe she didn't use the word freaking, but I'm gonna use that now. First times. And she said, you know, a lot about how as adults, we get so scared and so nervous around FFTs because we don't do them enough. We Mm. get comfortable, we get too settled. And she was, and she was just explaining if we, it's on uh, Spotify, if anyone's interested, it's called Unlocking Us, the podcast. But she talks about these FFTs and the more we do FFTs, the more FFTs become easier because that's all life is, is doing something for the first freaking time. So for me in the past year and a half, new job, new church, all in a pandemic. These are a new school. These are all very new things, new people, 
new relationships, new demographic makeup. These are all my first freaking time doing a lot of all this, but I'm just, I see how it all is working together in a sense. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so powerful. The, the first freaking time. And I always, you know, going back to what you said a couple of sentences ago, maybe, um, you talked about how you are doing, what, what is the quote you said? I don't know what I'm going to do for my life, but I know what I'm going to do next. Yeah. What am I supposed to do with my life? But instead okay. think, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm always sort of thinking in that, in that element too, that has been freeing for me, yeah. even in the past to, to say, you know, the decision that I make today to go to this church or to buy a house or to, to do this over here is not a decision for a lifetime. I know that's, it's hard for some people to wrap their heads around of a certain generation, but it's a decision for the now. I'm bouncing the balls that are in front of me, mm-hmm. um, my next. And then at some point, however many years from down the line or months down the line, something else may come along and that's going to be my next, that's right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's hard to embrace. I, I often feel like um, why so, while uh, there's so many people who struggle with change, they struggle with FFTs. They struggle with their necks because we have been conditioned to believe that we have to be stuck somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In a situation, in a relationship, in a church setting, in a career, when we always have the option to evolve and to swim with the swells or against the swells, we're always evolving. Um, can you talk about some you know, some reflections over the past year um, in terms of what you've seen in the church, just not even just Myers Park, but just in general, some of the the things you have seen churches struggle with, some of the things you've seen churches, maybe uh, uh, there was there, there was a room for, the church actually succeeded in something in the pandemic. What are some of the things you have witnessed um, in this period? Yeah. So one thing that I have found uh, very fascinating, interesting has been, um, I guess I just call it the church shuffle. So the beginning of the pandemic, churches were shuffling. I mean, just shuffling, trying to keep up, trying to jump ahead, because unfortunately, so many churches and it's, it's really unfortunate because the church, in my theological view, should be at the forefront of so many things. But the church has just been so afraid of FFTs that the mm. church is always steps behind. So that gets as technical as why churches didn't have internet, um, you know, beyond, of course, economic possibilities and and, and location, uh, geographical setting, internet and, and online capability and realizing, well, shucks, we didn't have anybody that was under 50 here that knows how to work a computer, um, that knows how to log this in on something. So churches were shuffling, shuffling, shuffling. And out of that, I, I saw some beautiful things happen. For example, um, uh, uh, a larger church here, um, I know, gave some opportunities to a friend who has a smaller church in Charlotte um, to come and use their space, their equipment to continue to record and, and uh, make their uh, services for Sunday, which I thought is a beautiful example of inner church relationships, right? Two completely different yeah. churches, different sides of Charlotte, different demographics, racial make- makeups, different denominations, right? I, for, so I thought that was beautiful. But I also thought it was interesting that so many of these shuffling churches were shuffling in ways that I think other generations, other more marginalized people had already been hit the game. 
if you want to say it like that, right? So I, I've seen it said of how many, let's say um, this for this example, black women had already been doing like online worship spaces, already mm -hmm. doing something virtual, something outside of the box that a lot of mainstream kind of churches and more traditional models scoffed at or like, what are you doing? That's not church. What, what, you know, what are you doing uh, having your Sunday afternoon chats on Zoom? This, what is that, right? Now, who doesn't yeah. do it? Now, now, look now, your church is behind if you don't do that. <laughs> um, so ways that churches had to uh, uh, catch up, which is so fascinating, um, and realize that they were learning from the people where in many instances they had marginalized before. So many churches that never even, that still don't ordain women to preach we're looking at the women who had already started doing these online churches, right? Or online and virtual space things. Churches that um, thought the youth and children are cute and they just need to stay over there. You know, they're cute over there. All of a sudden you need to ask them how to log into something because you have no idea, right? Mm. <laughs> you had no idea. Um, I was grateful. <laughs> one, way, one way I was actually able to help my previous congregation get, um, enter this virtual space and be more invested and, and really uh, embrace it early was because I had experience with online gaming, with streaming, something completely unrelated to a church, but because I was able to take a skill set that the church in some ways may have seen as fruitless and silly. I was the one who was able to jump in and said, this may not work long-term, but I got a way that I can get us on the next Sunday. We don't have to buy a thing. I can get us online next Sunday, live on Facebook and on YouTube. Oh, you want to put it on the website? I can do that too. Yeah. Let me tell you, you're talking, you're talking my talk right now because I have long believed this, this, what I'm about to say. Um, but it was further confirmed in the pandemic. And of course I'm making a, a generalization here, but I have always found black women, um, or I should say people who do not identify as cisgender men. Okay. <laughs> Oh, right. Black women, Black non-binary, Black trans folk, um, in my particular context, particularly in New York, I have always found them to be um, very imaginative, a little bit more creative than um, pr the particular group of Black men that I sort of associated with um, as it related to church work and how many of us had careers in other things before this. Um, or we've had to supplement our callings. We had to supplement our ministerial journeys with these other things that became useful skill sets in the pandemic. You know, um, I remember going to seminary with some folks in New York at Union and um, just looking. They, they were they were only invested in maintaining the status quo. Yeah, that's it. If you, if you ask them about their imagination, so many of their imaginations only went as far as I want to be senior pastor. Mm -hmm. That's their conversation. That was the bulk of their conversation. Whereas those of us who were sort of marginalized because of gender or sexuality or anything like that, we are doing all sorts of things in the back rooms, underground, making things happen um, because the status quo doesn't work for us. And so to hear you talk about this, just it just further confirms some of my feelings about um, the people who are really holding the church up Correct. in this moment. Mm -hmm. I'm also reminded uh, in a kind of similar, very similar way, actually, um, at my uh, seminary, the, the HBCU, we had a conversation, kind of same kind of general question. Like what I remember was um, the interesting setup there is that so many of us were already 
in ministry in some way, like already in churches and things like that. And so a, a common kind of just iceberg kind of question from professors or lecturers would be, you know, well, just tell me about your ministry. Tell me about your ministry. And I noticed that most of the cis men, if not all, at least in that one classroom I'm thinking of, were naming things at their church, that they're the pastor of some church and naming things in the church versus many of the non-cis men would name other things that they did outside of the church, such as, well, I do this at the prison, at the local prison, right? I work with domestic violence uh, um, survivors. I work with children who have been abused or subject to um, substance abuse or disorders, or I do this homeless, da, 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 da. And not saying that, you know, they're necessarily better than the, the formal church setting, the status quo, right? Kind of thing. But I just found it, I found it so interesting that Again, we who have been mostly marginalized from those traditional spaces will still make room, right? <laughs> so if you won't let me in here, if you won't let me have a seat at this table, I'll go build a table over here. And you know what? I'm going to build a chair. And you know what? I'm going to make an umbrella. Like if it's going to it's going to go way beyond. And I'm not just serving this food. I'm going to serve this. We have a dessert. We have a brunch. OK, like <laughs> the, cre the creativity that gets stifled in these um spaces sometimes is, is is really disheartening. Again, I just firmly theologically believe that the church, um, and again, thinking about this theme of, of beginning again, really should be at the forefront of a lot of these creative ideas. Stop being afraid to try something, thinking outside the box. So yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And and we have had to do that this year. We have had to think, think outside of the box um, and I'm grateful for my, my gifts, my gifts in areas that were unexpectedly used in the past 14 months and how they will continue to be used in the, the coming seasons. As we begin to wrap up the conversation, I wanted to just leave some room for theological reflection. Um, you know, I do that a lot. That's just part of the clinical pastoral education part of me, just wanting to always have something to sit, to sit with. Um, um, and I've been thinking a lot about Revelation 21. I've probably mentioned it a bunch of times, but this idea of a new heaven and a new earth, new creation coming forth, I, I sometimes have felt that, particularly as it pertains to the book of Revelation, that people feel like that's something far off, that's something that's coming that's not here yet, um, that they don't really have a role in it. But I really want to empower anybody listening today, as you have listened to this conversation, to be able to say, oh, no, I can always be a part of the creation process, right? I can always be a part of getting a new Jerusalem into being, right? That we have the incarnate possibilities of the divine within us, to, to make that happen. And I want people to know that it's not some big thing that's going to happen. You know, I know, I know the, the author of Revelation, you know, he writes in a lot of um, hyperbole and um, it's a lot of mythology, but it's not some big thing that's going to happen. Like all of a sudden, everything around us, the trees will be purple and the sky will be, or, you know, it's not going to look like that. It's going to look like what we, the choices we're making every day to make New Jerusalem happen in our communities, in our homes, in our personal lives. Do you have any theological reflection around that, around new creation, or just beginning again as we give our listeners something to hold on to, a little bit of hope for this new season that we're entering into? Sure. And I think you've already 
uh, named a, a number of things, especially as I think about um, Revelation 21 and how often uh, a lot of the imagery in the rest of Revelation in particular is, is cited, right? That the glassy sea, the throne upon the glassy sea and seeing the, the 144,000 elders and casting their crowns and streets made out of this gold that's like transparent and all these things. And I always wonder and reflect on that's cute, but that was John's vision. What's yours? That was John's vision, right? That wasn't that wasn't the end all. That's a whole other theological discussion about Revelation being literal, <laughs> right? Yeah. But that was what that was the words that John was able to put forth to describe the vision that he had, right? So I think for us, we have to be bold enough and brave enough and curious enough to vision for ourselves. What would a new heaven look like? What would a new earth look like? What does a new church look like? What does a new me look like? What is it? And you can see that. And I don't want to, you know, so you're the, we just said that the, um, and the theology side of it, I'm practical. So I'm always pulling back something practical, but you know, when we ask, when we start having these conversations of, you know, maybe we should abolish the police. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. How can the world ever exist without the police? I like, let's just have the discussion. I just wanted to ask what, what would it look like? Can we talk about it? People we're so afraid to envision for ourselves. And I think there's a, a, a theological beauty that's missing when we dare not envision for ourselves what a new heaven, a new Jerusalem, a new earth, a new church, a new self, a new faith could really look like. And I think it is a disservice to God and the God and spirit within us to try to box the spirit in. Right. You don't box the spirit in, but somehow we try. <laughs> yeah. This seems like a, a lack of imagination, not even wanting to have the conversation. And I think that that is one of the biggest uh, weaknesses of many Christian based communities. Mm -hmm. Um that I have always loved about some of my Jewish friends is that they have this tradition of midrash and arguing about scripture and, you know, having an imagination around scripture because it doesn't give us everything. And I feel sometimes as a person who, you know, calls themselves Christian or follows us, we are often a part of communities where imaginations are stifled. So we get to, we get to these conversations about what would abolishing the police look like? And people can't even enter into conversation. They can't even open their imagination because we have been conditioned to not use that part of ourselves. Yeah. And so my secret is this, as somebody who identifies as Christian, a Christ follower and operates in Christian spaces and institutions, is that I do, I whether I had the title or not, I always work with children and youth. Always. Because they don't already have that pre-programming of this is how it should be. Or this is this is how excuse me this is how it always has been. Instead, they they're not afraid to think. Well, this is how it could be. This is mm -hmm. how it should be. So they can think beyond that box before we start to stifle them and box them in. I love working with children and youth for that reason. They help keep me creative. They help keep me imagining and thinking beyond what I've always expected and what I've always done. So I am always so grateful. I'm grateful for the youth even here in Myers Park already for just these last couple of weeks to help me expand my own theological background. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're excited to have you, Reverend Tara. I'm so excited to see all the wonderful things that the youth and college students are going to be up to over the coming months and years. Um, and I'm excited about by the time this episode airs for you listeners, uh, we will be in heavy gear up mode for the youth homecoming 
experience. So Woo. if you have youth or college student out there, you want to get them involved, please email Reverend Tara. Let her know that you are interested in volunteering or, or sending your child to the program on July 23rd, right? Correct. July 23rd. All day, yeah. live music, games, food. It's a true college homecoming experience for our youth. And we're going to do it up big. We're going to do it what we're calling HBCU style, historically black college universities who have some of the best homecomings. We're going to do it big and we're opening it up to any youth who that's grade six to 12 who would like to come out and have fun with us. Yes. Yes. I'm excited. I'll be there. Um, I'm looking forward to it. So Make sure you email us and you you let us know what's going on in your world. If you have any questions or you want to um, bring up any topics on the podcast, email me. I'm Mia McLean. You can email me at mmcclain at myersparkbaptist.org. Let us know what you're thinking and we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye. Friends, that was our episode this week. As always, please email your questions and your suggestions to Reverend Mia McLean at mmcclain at myersparkbaptist.org. Until next time, take care. This is Sacred Justice.